Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Then he went right back and continued talking to the people there. He uh, seemed very calm. What did he do wrong in that altercation? Turn not turn the other cheek? Well, that's what the Bible says to do. Um... When he saw that guy go like this, what was his reflex? He went like that, right? Should have come like this and stepped right in. He'll sign up for Cuomo training. Would have been a different day. The spear system is who we should look at. Look online at the spear system. They'll teach you what to do, JB. Don't get slapped around. Have a good night. I'm Chris Cuomo, and welcome to primetime. No surprise, the opposition party is not going to make a deal on infrastructure with President Biden. So the president has ended negotiations tonight. Listen to the Senate minority leader about it. Pretty clear. It's pretty clear the era of bipartisanship is over. <laughs> Senator McConnell, once again, playing the game. This is exactly what he wanted. Waste weeks, offers that would never do anything but stall, lowball Biden, block the administration, exactly as he promised. The White House says Biden was willing to come down by more than $1 trillion on his plan. The GOP would only come up by $150 billion. But more importantly, it was what they wouldn't even deal with in the bill. It was just never in good faith. And in Biden's view, the offer simply doesn't meet the essential needs of the country. In a statement, the lead GOP negotiator, Senator Capito, said, this doesn't mean bipartisanship is over. Of course it does. That's why McConnell said it plainly and promised to fight the Biden administration at every turn. That's the game. Biden's team, what is their game? Spinning their wheels. Once again, trying to get the opposition to do something for this country. Now it says it's going to meet with a bipartisan Senate group of centrist senators, including Democrat Joe Manchin. Will he help Biden pull this through if he sees no good faith from his friends on the right? Or will the senator from West Virginia still insist on refusing to change the filibuster in any way to protect minority voting? Not minority voting of those Trumpers in the Senate. They are abusing a system. I'm talking about the voting rights of poor people of color all over this country who may be kept from influencing the system with their votes. They should be able to use the system, not be sacrificed so that Republicans can abuse it. Murkowski, the lone GOP senator working with Manchin to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, says It's going to be a challenge to get nine others in her party to break a filibuster. Of course, McConnell says the bill won't have his vote. But listen to why. Which they're trying to do directly through H.R. 1. They would try to achieve indirectly through this rewrite of the Voting Rights Act. It's against the law. 
to discriminate in voting on the basis of race already. And so I think it's unnecessary. He thinks it's unnecessary because he wants those elections to come and go to generate the lawsuits, to take the time to fight the laws in every state while allowing the party to benefit from them. That's what he wants. And the nonchalance, the pretending that it doesn't matter, is so similar to what we heard from supporters of Jim Crow, like segregationist uh, Senator James Eastland from Mississippi in 1957. Listen to him. We have no rate, no voting qualifications based on race. Well, under those circumstances... We have none at all, and anybody who's qualified can vote. I would like to see, as just what we have, that everyone who is qualified should vote. Qualified by reason of? Our qualifications that are written in the law that apply to all races alike. And you think that no tougher literacy test should be given, let's say, to a Negro than to a white, right? No, not given. You know who was asking the questions? Boy, could we use them today. May rest in peace. Mike Wallace. The game, then and now, ugly and obvious. McConnell is dead set on not doing anything that might hurt Trump's chances of winning again. Back then, the guy was just a bigot. Now, it's about holding on to power, no matter if it engages racism. Hold black people down. Worth it. Hold down any legislation that Biden can campaign on. Worth it. No matter what it means for the country. Worth it. Absolutely hold down any efforts to investigate the real reasons for the infamy of the insurrection on January 6th. You see that first report from the Senate on what went wrong at the Capitol on January 6th? Came out today. You know what Trumpers were posting online before the attack, according to this new bipartisan joint committee report? Remember that word, bipartisan. Bring guns. It's now or never. This is do or die. Bring your guns. They better dig a tunnel all the way to China if they want to escape. There was planning. There was a call to arms. And the Trump mob did bring guns and other weapons and harmed law enforcement and others that deadly day despite what the revisionist historians in the party are telling you now. They were wearing Trump's hats. You can see them. You see the flags. And they say themselves again and again, themselves and through counsel on this show, that they were there because they thought Trump told them to fight. But what about his culpability? What about mentioning him? Oh, he's in the report, plenty. But he is never identified of us as a source of any of the fomenting that led to that day. Why? Because that's the way the Democrats had to yield to get Republicans to join this bipartisan probe. Of what value is this report if it is going to sugarcoat the reality to protect somebody who was responsible for it? And McConnell said he was. Remember that. The man said he was part of it. But now he's okay with a report that whitewashes Trump out of it when he himself said on the Senate floor that he had done it. It's a game, my brothers and sisters. And the longer you allow it to be played without seeing it called out, being outraged by it, it will continue. And so now here we are with the Democrats succeeding at appeasing the party of Trump. They're doing a great job of that. But will that make you, the voters, in the midterms happy with Democrats? We need to get in deep to this state of play with somebody who understands the game and understands the Democrats, a better mind, a former attorney general, 
Let's get the take of Eric Holder, former attorney general, on what's happening right now. It's good to see you, sir. Welcome to Prime. Good to see you, too. So the January 6th report, they get the buy-in by keeping Trump out of it. What does that mean to you? Well, it means that, uh, you know, the Republicans are intent on um, hiding Trump's culpability, um, trying to whitewash things as best they can, doing only what the minimum um, is involved. I mean, you know, the reality is that the report, even with that, is is useful because it identifies some systemic failures, failures to share um, intelligence. But the, there, there's a clear need for a, a January 6th commission that would have the ability to look not only at what happened, but also determine why it happened and cast a wide net as we did after 9-11. Not only to figure out what happened on 9-11, but why did 9-11 happen? Same thing on January the 6th. Why did it happen? Who was involved? Who should be um, held? Who should be held accountable? And so that's what um, that's what we need. I understand what you know, uh, Senator Peters had to do to get this report uh, out today. It, that's unfortunate. And it says a lot about the Republican Party and the leaders in the Republican Party who have made the determination that they're going to ride and die with um, you know with Donald Trump, protect his interests right. at the expense of the interests of the uh, the American people. So, given that, Mr. Attorney General, why not leave it to the DOJ? to handle all matters January 6th. Let them just process it. Keep it away from the political arm because you're never going to get a straight read there. This is not post 9-11. Yeah, because this is bigger than just bringing criminal cases. The Justice Department can investigate cases and a Justice Department properly run only speaks through indictments that it can bring. We need something larger than that. So people need to be held criminally accountable and the Justice Department should do that. But the American people really need to know more about what happened on uh, January the 6th, uh, who was involved and who might not be criminally liable. Um, and, and that's the only way that you'll get the, the full picture. The Justice Department, through the use of grand juries, means that you can't, through because there's grand jury secrecy, there's information that they will acquire that cannot then be shared. This is something that needs to be explored and then shared with the uh, the American people right. for now and also for history to make sure that what happened on January the 6th um, doesn't happen again. But, uh, you know, strange question, but are you selling uh, your agency short, uh, the DOJ? Uh, they obviously look at terror all the time and they understand it from an intelligence perspective, obviously, uh, and the investigative arm with the FBI. Aren't they the best equipped, not just to bring cases, but to bring understanding? and say, here's who was involved, here's how they were involved. Isn't this what they do every day? Yeah, I mean, they can do that through the indictments that they would bring, but that doesn't necessarily give you the full, full picture. I'm not selling them short. I mean, they're great lawyers, they're great prosecutors. We've got a great attorney general. They'll do um, as good a job as as they can. But the 9-11 Commission, you know, that's what told us what actually happened on on September the 11th, not necessarily the indictments that were brought by by the Justice Department. You need both. You need Mm. both. You certainly need to have people held criminally liable where that is appropriate, but you need that overarching picture in the same way that we had the Warren Commission report. We, we need to, it wasn't just a question if he had lived of indicting and convicting Lee Harvey Oswald. We needed to have the Kennedy, uh, the Kennedy Assassination Committee, the, the Warren Commission report to tell us uh, what actually happened. How did he get the, the weapons? Who else might have been involved? You know, all, all those, those kinds of things. Commissions are uniquely situated uh, to give us the full picture, again, for the present and also um, for history. I hear, you. I hear you. It just doesn't seem like that's going to happen. All right, let's talk about something else that may not happen uh, that you have been fighting over for years. And you were right. You were early on it. 
um, in, in terms of the Democratic uh, perspective on this, which is redistricting or gerrymandering. Um, you've been talking about it for years. Here's my question to you. Manchin's getting all this stink on him for not being in favor of the For the People Act. But he is not against the For the People Act because of the gerrymandering. It's the other things that are in it. The campaign finance, the presidential tax returns, the D.C. statehood stuff. Why not take that stuff out and treat gerrymandering as as serious as it is and have it be a standalone bill, hold his feet to the fire, he'll have to support it, and then make it a clean sale? Well, you know, we try to work on Senator Manchin between now and the time that the vote occurs. Um, But I don't want to, you know, we need to focus on him and try to get him to the appropriate place. But we also got to focus on the Republicans who are doing absolutely nothing in support of a bill that clearly would make our electoral system better. I think we want to keep this bill together. The part that uh, deals with, you know, campaign finance, the part that deals with um, redistricting, gerrymandering, the part that deals with voter protection, the, the three parts of that bill are the strength of that bill because it identifies the weaknesses, the issues that we have um, in the electoral system in the United States of America. All of them need to be um, addressed. You're not going to make the bill any more saleable to Republicans if you pull it apart. Uh, This is an opportunity that we have, a unique historical opportunity uh, to really look at our electoral system and, and cure a lot of the ills that we see curb a lot of the abuses that we see, you know, dark money when it comes to the electoral um, system, um, gerrymandering when it comes to redistricting, voter suppression when it comes to um, how our elections are run. Let's do this all at once and let's make the system um, as fair as it needs to be. You know, Republicans, it seems to me, are scared of the people who they say they, they want to represent. Democrats, by contrast, want to say, let's make it as easy as possible for people to vote and let's keep the special interests um, you know, out of the system. So let's keep the bill together and let's pass that bill. Now, one of the things that would make it easier um, to pass the bar of my criticism would have been a fair hearing on this. Um, I have been consistent in talking about your party in terms of them not playing this game the right way. They're making it too easy for the Republicans to say that they're having things forced on them and not putting things on the floor, putting out the hearings. Let people see where the Republicans are on these things and what their resistance is really about. Like this bill, you don't have to sell me on it. You know, I've been hearing about gerrymandering since Elbridge Jerry. You know what I mean? I know when it was right and when it's been wrong. But there's been one hearing on this thing. Why not have the Republicans have to make the case on this and expose what it's really about? Yeah, I testified um, at that hearing, which was done, I think, very well by Senator Klobuchar. Had lots of people um, testify, including uh, the Senate Majority Leader as well as the Senate Minority Leader. They both um, spoke at that hearing. And there's been a number of uh, opportunities that Republicans have had to voice their concerns um, about the bill. Uh, There'll be more opportunities they have between now and I guess the end of June when the bill will come up for a vote. Um, and so, yeah, they'll, they'll be on the record in their opposition and have to state their reasons. They'll, they'll put amendments forward. Senator Schumer has allowed that to occur with other bills, um, unlike Senator McConnell did when he was in mm-hmm. charge. So we will see exactly where um, the Republicans are. But I can tell you where they are. You know, you're not going to get a Republican. You're not going to get one Republican to vote for um, S1, the old H.R. 1. There's not one. And you think about that. What does that say about that party? It means that they are bound and determined to hold on to the power that they have. And that's what this is all about. This is about nothing. This isn't about fairness. This isn't about the health of our electoral system. This is all about Republicans holding on to the power that I think they illegitimately got. 
and want to hold on to at, uh, at all costs. And that's why it's so important for the process to be exposed and let, them, and let people hear the arguments and see what it's about and what it isn't about. Now, this is usually the point in the interview where I go, damn, I ran out of time with Holder again. Not tonight. Tonight, I want to hold you over for a second block so we can discuss how important the other piece of this legislation is in light of what is going on around the country on the state level. And I want your take on what is working and not working for your party and what it means going forward. So let's take a quick break and we'll be back with the former AG who was on the front lines of one of the most important fights in our our democracy's history. Next. Former Attorney General Eric Holder is with us. Thank you for sticking around, sir. Appreciate it. When you hear Mitch McConnell say, you don't need the John Lewis Act. It's already in the law. States' rights. States' rights. How does that sound to the ears, uh, to your ears, as the only black attorney general that this country has had? When you hear him say it and the way he says it, what does it mean to you? Well, when I hear somebody talking about states' rights and denying people the right to vote, that takes me back to uh, a very bad place. It takes this country back to a very bad place. And that's where Republicans are trying to take this country, to a very bad place. The assault on our democracy, what they're trying to do to our electoral system, is reminiscent of what we saw during the Jim Crow era. What we're seeing now is the greatest attack on voting rights since, since the Jim Crow era. You know, this is a nation that's been generally on an arc. We have always tried to expand the number of people who had the ability to vote, you know, from simply white men who owned property and to women, African-Americans. You know, we, we've moved this arc so that we include more people. We try to make it easier for people um, to vote. And what um, Mitch McConnell and Republicans are doing around the country uh, is inconsistent with that arc, inconsistent with you know, the, the founders of the, their party, you know, they call themselves the party of Lincoln, and yet they're doing absolutely nothing that is consistent with uh, the memory of our, our greatest president. But it's the right play, because he is right. Uh, you do have federal law that makes it uh, illegal to restrict voting on the basis of color. But he knows what that means. You're going to have to have elections. People are going to then be harmed. They're going to have standing. They're going to go to court. They're going to sue. It's going to take time. And they will get the benefit of those laws until they get tracked down one at a time. That's his play. My question is, what is your party's play? Do you see the desperation? I mean, it's all Joe Manchin this, Joe Manchin that. Is that all you got? You know, does that party not have the desperation to find a way to get this done if it matters that much? No, I think the the Democratic Party is is ready, is fired up, and, and wants to you know take the battle to the Republicans in the fight for our democracy. But beyond that, Chris, the American people are on our side. You know, the For the People Act polls extremely well among Republicans, Independents, and Democrats. In what West Virginia, in our- by the way, in West Virginia, the For the People yeah. Act polls higher than the Jobs Bill or the Relief Bill. It's at eighty-one percent. So what right. is Manchin's play and how does that fit into the Democratic strategy? Well, I'm not sure what um, Senator Manchin's play is. I hope that over time we'll you know, get him to um, a, a better place. But, uh, you know, what we as Democrats are doing is fighting, I think, in the best way that we can, trying to generate um, 
generate interest, generate support by the American people, trying to pressure um, the Republicans, trying to bring transparency um, to the system. But like, let me be honest about you. You know, um, I think progressives and Democrats are, are too often uncomfortable with the acquisition and the use of power, and we need to get over that. Uh, we have power now in the Senate that we need to use. And it's not to use it in the way that re Republicans have to protect themselves and to entrench themselves in essentially minority rule. We've got the people um, behind us. And so we have to use that power to make sure that we put in place um, systems that will withstand attacks like the Republicans are um, presently uh, presently doing. So we, we've got to get comfortable, I said, with that, with the use of power. Now, look, I remember I was alive and in this job back in 2009 uh, when you were in office, you got all this heat. Uh, for saying that um, in too many ways that we've acted like a nation of cowards about taking on our biggest challenges. And I was okay with it then because either you take on the tough fights or you don't and you leave yourself open to scrutiny when you don't take on the tough fights. I feel it applies just as much today, Mr. Attorney General, as when you said it then. We got the same issues and worse and we're moving backwards at a rate that is much greater than it was in 2009 in terms of where we are as a people. What do you think? I think the stakes are higher. You know, I think that the attacks are greater. They're more intense. Um, the Republican Party has gotten to a place where they are comfortable with the notion that they're going to be a minority party in terms of popular support that will have majority power. We are on the verge of, and I don't say this lightly, we are on the verge of a political apartheid system in this country where a minority Again, not with popular support, but because of gerrymandering, because of the way of uh, voter suppression, the way in which our Constitution has kind of broken up our, our system with regard to the, the Senate, the Electoral College. There, there's a whole range of ways in which a minority, minority in this party um, can dictate to the majority uh, the policies of this nation, the policy directions of this nation, the foreign policy uh, of this nation, the domestic policy of this nation. And so we have got to fight. This is what's at stake. Our democracy is what is at stake right now. No time for cowards, because if you don't get it right, then you don't have Eric Holder, the first African-American attorney general for the United States of America. Because if you don't even the playing field, then you don't get even results or anywhere close. Um, Mr. Holder, thank you for fighting the fight on gerrymandering. I don't care what party you're with. Um, we got to get the representation right. If it's not fair, it just gets more unfair as it goes down the line. And I appreciate you being on tonight. All right. We got to keep fighting. Don't be pessimistic. Keep fighting. Have you met me? That's where I wear <laughs> the black suit. <laughs> Eric, I am right. as funereal as they get. Mr. Attorney General, you're always welcome here uh, to uh, paint the optimism and make the case. Be well. All, All right, right. So jo care. Joe Manchin had a uh, big meeting today, I think, um, with a, uh, a board, a body from the NAACP. OK, and we have a key player who was in the room. And he said it was productive. Manchin came out and said, I haven't changed my position. So what is the state of play? What are the stakes? And what has to happen that isn't? Perspective from a better mind. Next. Informative, but no change in position. That is Senator Joe Manchin's official take on the For the People Act after meeting with civil rights activists. Take a listen. 
We had a constructive conversation. I think everybody pretty much knows the importance of what we're doing. Is there anything concerns. about your position on S1 that changed based on this conversation? No, I don't think anybody changed positions on that. We're just learning where everybody's coming from. That meeting included my next guest, NAACP Chief Derek Johnson. It's good to have you, sir. Good to be here. You know, Joe Manchin is talking, you know, we, and I don't think anybody, it's just about him. What was your take on Manchin after the meeting? What do you think this is about for him? And do you think he gets it? Well, first of all, we wanted to establish a relationship and then grow it from there. We understand where his position is, but we also understand where we need to go as a country and as a community, and that is to protect the right to vote. Uh, we should not allow a procedural question used by segregationists like Senator Russell and Eastland uh, to prevent the, the full appreciation of the Constitution and, the, and, and, and people votes being denied. And so where Manchin is coming from, I'm not here to predict, but I do know we must fight so we can win. And that can only happen right now if we open up a different type of dialogue and come to a, a, a place where we can agree to move the country forward. I really appreciate the last interview with, with Attorney General Holder, because if we don't expand the electric, if we don't allow democracy to truly uh, be in place in this country, we're going to go to a dark uh, state, and that dark state will be very harmful to African Americans and many others. Understood. Are you open to streamlining the For the People Act to just deal with gerrymandering specifically? And of course, you still have the John Lewis Act, which would be the only federal mechanism to stop what is spreading through these states like a cancer right now in terms of their suppressive laws. What do you think about streamlining the um, the first act, the For the People Act, and then putting it to Mansion that, hey, you said you're for the gerrymandering part. That's what it is now. Well, that won't address uh, state legislative bodies that enacted regressive laws like in Georgia. Uh, you're going to have a lot of voters harmed because of what they've just done in Georgia and in several other states. So we have to address the harm that has been implemented in state policy over the last two months as well as address issues around redistricting, how we make sure we get lines that are not so uh, uh, heavily uh, polarized that we won't recognize Congress in the, in the next session. I'm more, and we must also put in place measures uh, to prevent jurisdictions from trying to suppress votes moving forward. I'm with you, 100%. The John Lewis Act is what gives you the stopping mechanism for having a preclearance of these state laws. The and I know you know this, but for the audience and the for your uh, and for the people act is the gerrymandering right now. Manchin is saying there are too many things in the for the people act that aren't about gerrymandering um, that are about campaign finance and presidential taxes and D.C. statehood. Take that out and say, good, just do the gerrymandering and then do the um, the John Lewis act. What about that? Well, is he prepared to say, if all that happened, I'm, we're going to move forward and I would not participate in stopping on a procedure, the advancement of, around the protection of votes of Americans? Is he prepared to, to ensure that if he take all of that out, we can move forward and know that we have fair, transparent elections where people could have access? The very things he, he attempted and did in many cases when he was Secretary of State of, of West Virginia, he created early voting. He did many things so West Virginians can fully engage and participate. And we're only asking him, do that for the rest of America. Do not, do not allow a segregationist procedural rule 
to block full implementation so we can have the democracy that we all have invested in. Mm. And remember, they can, and again, I know you know all this, Derek, but for the audience, they can make a one-time change on the filibuster. I know it would set precedent, but we're already past that. Harry Reid did it with federal judges, and then McConnell did it with the Supreme Court. And if you did it here, yeah, they may double down on it, but is this fight worth it? I think that's the question Democrats have to put to Joe Manchin and to themselves, frankly. Um, I think he's being a little bit of a scapegoat, and that's why I like that you guys entered the mix today, because people have to understand the stakes. Last word to you. Well, it's important that we don't give up the fight because when we fight, we win. That's been the history of the NAACP. That's been the history of the civil rights community in this country. And although Joe Manchin may have a position today, we have to continue to push Congress as a whole, the Senate specifically, so we can get to a place where we can ensure that all eligible citizens can fully engage. Because if we don't, 2022 will look much worse than we've ever seen. Our democracy is at stake. We must protect it, and we have to protect it in the Senate now. Americans being able to exercise the franchise is absolutely the good fight, and I wish you well in that. Derek Johnson, thank you for being with us. Thank you. All right, so this Ukraine, perfect phone call. You knew it had to be a problem when Trump called it perfect, because remember, that is his game always, right? Nothing is a mistake. Everything is right. Nothing is bad. Everything is perfect. We played you the exclusive audio that CNN got of Rudy Giuliani in his own words, absolutely putting pressure on Ukrainians and making it clear that if they did what he wanted, he would talk to the president for them about that meeting, which they needed to bring legitimacy to the fledgling Zelensky administration. You know who else who heard it? Zelensky and his assistant. We had him on before. He's back here now with us to make it clear about what they understood, about what Rudy had wanted from them, and what they had to give, and what he was offering to get for them. He's with us next. You heard Donald Trump talk to Ukraine's president, and in no uncertain terms say, do something for me if you want me to do something for you. If you had any question, you had exclusive audio obtained by CNN last night, further exposing that Rudy Giuliani was doing the exact same thing in Trump's name, attempting a quid pro quo to get Biden. Listen. And what we need, all we need from the president is to say, I'm going to put an honest prosecutor in charge. He's going to investigate and dig up the evidence that presently exists. And is there any other evidence about involvement of the 2016 election? And then the Biden thing has to be run out. It's going to be run by honest people. That would clear the air uh, really well. And I think it would make it possible for me to come and make it possible, I think, for me to talk to the president and see what I can do about making sure that whatever misunderstandings are put aside. And maybe even, uh, I kind of think that this is this, this could be a good thing for having a much a much better relationship. Sounds like he's eating a sandwich or something. He was very casual about this, but he was also being recorded. And I don't think Rudy cared. You know why? Because there was no shame in their game. But how about on the other side of the phone? Igor Novikov was on that phone call, former aide to Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. It's good to see you again. 
Hi, thanks for having me. Now, you knew what they were asking, and they knew that you had already investigated these things and had made it clear there was no information like this on Biden that they were asking for. Is that also true? Yeah. Expand. Well, basically, um, we knew what to expect before the phone call. I mean, we do read the news and we've heard the stories. So uh, the only hope that we actually had was that uh, since we're complete neophytes in politics, we kind of expected probably, you know, a gentler treatment. But that wasn't the case. We kind of experienced the full godfather mode, like straight straight away. So... um, I'd be lying to you if I if I said that, you know, kind of hearing that tape brings back, you know, fond memories. So um, we had to deal with what we had. Igor, I still got you? Yeah. Good. Um, and just to be clear, when the communications with the administration on this issue allowed uh, your team to say, look, we don't know of anything about Biden. This has already been looked at. And Rudy came back uh, three days after Giuliani's call. You would hear Trump say the same thing. When you had been clear that there was no need for an investigation and Rudy came back and said, yes, you need to have an investigation, a good, honest prosecutor. How was that interpreted on your side? Well, um, we kind of realized that it wasn't about investigations. It was about creating that picture, uh, you know, for um, the uh, general public in the U.S. uh, of something happening in Ukraine. So basically, um, our impression was that they wanted to stir things up and see what comes out of it. Um, And they wanted basically to use the um, Ukrainian officials to kind of to rubbish stamp all of that. So to make it look official and real and kind of to give that, you know, credibility to all the conspiracy theories. So um, that was very uncomfortable. But there was another tragedy kind of associated with it. Basically, uh, before this interaction with Rudy Giuliani, before the perfect phone call, before these events, our young kind of civil society, our dreamers kind of firmly believed in like American exceptionalism and, you know, the strength of like American ideals. And that was one of them. And then experiencing all of this firsthand, hearing those conspiracies, experiencing that pressure, that was really damaging. I mean, everyone, including myself, has a slightly more cynical view of America now. And that's the real tragedy. The damage has been done. Well, look, there are always going to be different facets uh, to every government, especially when you're looking at it through the lens of politics. Um, You know, one of the things that makes America the envy of the world is that I'm also sitting here right now reaching out to a foreign source to criticize a former president of the United States and his attorney who are under uh, current investigation for what was happening. So accountability is the key in a democracy. And that's what we're struggling with here. And I have to tell you, I appreciate your help and your perspective of having been on these phone calls and making it clear to the American audience, you knew what they wanted. They knew that it wasn't legitimate and they asked for it also. And they was the president and his lawyer. And it was clear to the president of Ukraine and his team. Igor Novikov, thank you very much. I appreciate you and be well. Thank you. Now, One step sideways as we go to break.
How much does it hurt to hear this young Ukrainian guy say, I see America differently now? It hurts, right? It hurts me, right? Because you love your country. And what was done was wrong. And don't both sides be on that BS. This was a uniquely wicked and dirty deal. And you just heard this guy who should be looking up to this country for the way forward for his own, saying, now I'm not so sure. Don't be in denial. We've had too much of it. In fact, it's a segue. Deep denial about the pandemic. I'm going to keep talking about this movie Contagion from 2011 because when I watched it again, it was like a slap in the face. A decade ago, we should have known this was coming and we've done nothing. My next guest saw the warning signs. Are we ready now if it happens again? Next. We should have never gone through the pandemic the way we did. If they had taken it seriously in the beginning, if Trump had not made a political play on it, we wouldn't have been there. But now forget about him. Pre-Trump, I keep coming back to this 2011 movie, Contagion. The filmmakers looked at SARS and MERS, talked to some experts, and figured out what the scenario would be like. And it is exactly like what we lived through. And a key element was leaders in deep denial. Take a look. We can't even tell people right now what they should be afraid of. We tried that with swine flu and all we did was get healthy people scared. It's the biggest shopping weekend of the year. I think we need to consider closing the schools down. And who stays home with the kids? People that work at stores, government workers, people that work at hospitals. Yes. And yet we did nothing to plan. Well, you know, Trump took out that White House office for pandemic. So what? We should have an entire infrastructure. We knew for years. Dr. Ian Lipkin is professor of epidemiology at Columbia University and was a chief scientific consultant for that movie. 2010, they came to you, Doc, thanks for joining us, and said, what would it look like? What would it be? You didn't make any of that up in giving them a a fictitious storyline. How do you explain why this country allowed itself to be so vulnerable to something they had to know was coming? Well, Chris, I think the last segment Uh, highlighted the problem. It was a lack of leadership. The preparedness that we did have was really a function of what happened after 9-11, when Bush decided to actually look at what we had to do to jumpstart research to build production facilities in this country. That effort, which was really led by Tony Fauci, was supported by Obama as well. But as you've said, there was a sort of a diminution of the, of the effort, um, and we had a lack of leadership, not only in the United States, but in Brazil, in China, in Turkey, in many parts of the world, in India, and you've seen the consequences of lack of leadership. We all knew that something like this was inevitable. Uh, we knew that we had to expedite the development of vaccines, that we needed better testing, um, And the fact that we are coming out to the end of the beginning of this pandemic now doesn't mean that we're all the way through, nor does it mean that we won't have another one. So what we're hoping is that people will pay attention, not just to the movie, but to what it is we've learned 
as a consequence of what we've seen thus far. So two questions. First one is, if, God forbid, uh, there is COVID-20 or whatever it would be called, we don't have the Defense Production Act, uh, you know, revved up in a way where we're ready to make PPE, uh, where we got that one company in Maine that makes swabs. Uh, ready to expand production to help us to get the reagent that we had to source from Asia and North Africa. We don't have stuff in place ready to go if we were to get hit again, do we? Not yet. I'm hoping this is something we're going to be addressing shortly. There are so many areas where we're weak, Chris. I mean, if you consider the fact, I was in China in January of 2020, before we realized what was going on here. And the Chinese government was investing heavily in personal protective equipment. Everywhere I went in China, we were wearing masks. When I came back to Newark on the 4th of February, it was like stepping into a completely different world. There was really no concern. Now, they were stopping people who were coming in the border from China. But there was no effort to do anything similar with people arriving from Europe. And the majority of what hit New York was actually viruses coming in from Europe, not yeah. from China. Yeah. So there were so many places where we went wrong. So that now, said, go, go ahead, make said, your point, Doc. I, I just want to say the vaccine story here is absolutely extraordinary. Mm-hmm. The investments that we made in vaccine development beginning in the early 2000s paid off in spades. So look at how well we're doing. And if we could just get everyone to take the vaccine, we would be far safer. Now, what I want to do, Doc, is uh, you have the way forward. If America doesn't take its technology and work with other countries to get more vaccinations in the countries that are lagging behind, this is going to just repeat itself and come back in some variant form. Uh, So we're going to stay tracking that. And I want you to come back and work with us on that piece again on another night, okay, about what we need to do in the rest of the world. Doc, thank you very much for helping us understand. I appreciate you. We'll be right back. My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. It is now time for the big show. Don Lemon tonight with its star, D. Lemon. You got that right, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. And you? Yeah, I'm doing very well. What do you think of this whole bipartisanship? I heard a goofy (laughs) man once say that bipartisanship for the sake of itself is meaningless. Bipartisanship for the sake of bipartisanship is empty is what the goofy man said, which is me. I know you're talking about me. No, I was. And you you think I was right? First of all, it's like if you said two plus two equals four, do I think you're right? Yes, I think you're right. I think it's also no secret um, that uh, going along with a process because you think the process is right no matter what it yields is almost the clinical definition of insanity. (laughs) Uh, I think that there's probably a good faith element to Biden's concerns and his beliefs about the Senate, but a man's got to meet the moment. And where you are right now, they just proved to you again today, um, they will not do a deal with you because they win if you do nothing. Right. And there is no upside to them to having more people vote in this country. Yeah. And that's what it is. Yeah. So how do you convince him? What I don't like is that the Democrats only talk about Joe Manchin and that like, uh, you know, it's, it's him. You know, if he doesn't want to do it, I guess we'll just have to go find 60 votes. I mean, I think they need to have more desperation. I think they have to have more tools in the box. And I know that there are all these talks going behind 
the scenes, but he met with the NAACP today. He walks out and he says, no, my position is the same. I just don't see what could be going on behind the scenes that'll make a change unless they can convince him that you don't have to blow up the filibuster forever. Right. You can do a carve out. Why don't you, if you, if you're concerned as most people are in this country, uh, and I, and I mean, I mean what I said, because most people don't feel the way that the people who are trying to restrict voting rights feel because if they did, they wouldn't be trying to restrict the voting rights. West Virginia, 81% in favor of uh, the For the People Act. Yeah. 81%. Yeah. So in his own state, it's very popular. And I don't think he's anti-voting rights. I do, though. You know, Eric Holder's a much better mind on this stuff than I am. But I do believe you're making it a little easy on the For the People Act. Um, D.C. statehood, uh, presidential tax returns, um, campaign finance. Take it all out. Gerrymandering matters more than all of it. It certainly does. Um, I, so if I ever agree with anything that you said, that was it. Gerrymandering matters more than anything. Listen, these restrictive voting laws around the country, they matter, too. That's the John Lewis Act. Yeah, that's the John Lewis Act. But still, that matters. But yes, gerrymandering matters as well. Do you ever see these districts and they're like... Oh, they're all like that. Yeah, it's 95 crazy. 95% of GOP or POT uh, held districts Trump. in the House are white majority places. Mm-hmm. And now look, again, you know, for too many people, when they hear anything like that, they're saying, oh, there it is, they're anti-white again. I am white. I'm not anti-white. And I have no problem with there being white majority districts. You're over, we're over 50% of the country. Yeah. I'm just saying that there's a reason that 95% of those districts are white majority, and it's because of how they're engineered. Yeah. And it's a mistake. It's and, just not what America is about. Why is it engineered that way? Obviously. Advantage. Yes, you're selling something to the American people that the majority of American people aren't buying. So you have to restructure it in your favor to figure out where the people who support you are because the majority of the people don't support you. And this is the only way to stop it. Mitch McConnell said a clever thing today that was true. What? It is against the law to discriminate in voting on the basis of color. Mm -hmm. Absolutely true. And that's what gerrymandering does. Well, gerrymandering is an an end around, Mm -hmm. but it is not inherently about color. And these state laws are not inherently about color. Here's his play. He happens to be right. So what happens? So now we have election cycles. Now people, predominantly poor, predominantly poor minorities, don't get to vote the way they think they should have. The election comes and goes. They claim that they've been injured. They sue. They're found to have standing. The court says it's ripe. They go through the system. But what happened? You got one for free. Yeah. At least. And you'll have to do that state by state. Yeah, but guess what? In this environment, what's happening in the country, what's, happen- what's happening in the local legislatures, you only need one. Because in one, and then the country changes forever. That's I mean, right. These people are in place. You, the get, you get an election for free. There you go. We're a group. And then you've got a judiciary that's changing. There you go. Because McConnell's been flooding the courts with a very specific type of jurist. Yeah. So who knows that you even win the suit? There you go. Well, if I ever agree with you on anything, it's tonight. Mark that on your calendars, people. Then I quit. Yeah. This is as good as it gets. <laughs> well, well, Off to be go. a house painter. Mark this on your calendars. My March dreams. 35th, 1875, I agree with Chris. Cuomo Fishing Charters, <laughs> open for business starting tomorrow. Don't laugh. Don't catch. Don't, don't laugh. pay. Don't. <laughs> Get out of here. You, I you, love you, you, you Lemon. You're crazy. Make you witness. I love you too, sir. This. 
quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.